0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines.
2: That's the second time
0: it's gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those guys. That's. Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really.
3: So you can laugh. I have to walk up.
0: I'm a little bit of an
2: idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me.
4: You don't know what you're
2: talking about. Well, if you want to like us to stay alive, oh, you to... I'd say it to you, face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to my and we see them, not we? What you what you're doing down here, yes, you're me
3: man.
0: It's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. Owen, Ken and Ciaran, all back from San Francisco. How are you guys? Hello, Owen. Hello, Owen. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good. <clears throat> We're back just in time to catch the end of the Premier League season. I, and I may have picked the wrong game here. Patriotism got the better of me. Yes. Decided to watch Hull City's... Massive Irish contingent As did I All of them picked All four Irish players picked To try to save them from relegation As I was watching Paul McShane Getting bandaged up from head to toe <laughs> After the Fellaini tackle You know the one I'm talking about Yes uh, Around that time Or certainly shortly afterwards Jonas Gutierrez was completing The feel-good story of the season After saving Newcastle from relegation And Liverpool were suffering Their worst defeat In more than 50 years mm. So maybe I should have picked One of those other games But y- y- you've got to stick With your guys sometimes
3: yeah, I, I mean, I watch Hull as well. I must admit, I, I have a confession to make. I sought out an illegal internet stream. <gasps> I mean, you are apologizing for that right now. That's why you admit it. I, I feel as though I had no choice. It's, it's as though, it's like a man who, uh, his family starving, starving, owing to a war, is forced to go to the black market to buy bread. You know, uh, I wasn't able to get uh, this Liverpool Or game. steal
1: the bread outright. Out yeah, I mean, tre- it's, it's, he stole Trevelyan's
3: corn. Yeah. You know, I stole Trevelyan's corn, so I might see the second half of <laughs> Liverpool against Stoke. And uh, uh, obviously, I'd missed all the, the the good bit of that game. You know, although it was it was it was still interesting just to see this. You know, <laughs> what what does a team so placed do? How do they respond? Um, uh, while having obviously the hull and the, the coverage on the TV as well. I was just surrounded by football, this, this squawking of commentators. But mainly, I was just trying to close all the pop ups that were appearing on my uh, computer <laughs> owing to the I, do, I don't know what was, you
1: mean. Is, is that what happens in illegal Oh, yeah.
3: Well, that's. I mean, I would discourage happens. anyone from viewing matches illegally. You do pay a heavy price in terms of wear and tear on the old uh, computer brain. It's basically computer um, CJD that uh, <laughs> you quickly get after. Uh, after uh, viewing too many of these websites, I would I would urge everybody not to not to do that. If you want to watch football, pay up.
0: At least there was a little bit of excitement uh, for the final day of the season. We'll get into that now. And Kenardy's report on sport.
3: Yeah, and I, and I was disappointed, you know, because I, I wrote up an um, article. I was I was originally intending to write um, for the Irish Times this week about something to do with you know Newcastle, maybe West Ham, maybe and maybe Hull. Maybe Steve Bruce. I ended up writing something again about Liverpool. (laughs) Um, Just because I I, I suppose I made that decision around halftime. I thought, you know what, actually, they, you know, strangely enough, might be the story again here, Um, uh, you know, given the way the are going.
1: It's pretty hard to ignore 5-0 at (sighs) halftime.
3: Yeah. Um, So I wrote up up a little thing about Brendan Rodgers and, and Liverpool. Uh I mean you could have gone on for a lot longer than than nine hundred words. You know, you have to nine hundred words, you have to focus on small, you know, kind of a small area really. And uh, and the the problems of the are obviously much bigger than Brennan Rogers. So I apologize to anyone who felt I was unfairly focusing on him. Um But I was disappointed on to see today that my at least averagely insightful column uh, had been <laughs> had been the uh,
1: frequently readable header... <laughs>
3: Frequently Read call had been uh, busted down off the top of the most red charts in the Irish Times to, well, fourth place at the moment. Um,
0: Well, who's top dog.
3: Well, you've got in in number two, you've got got, uh, Joseph Stiglitz, the economist uh, who doesn't believe that uh, Ireland's optimism about its economic future is entirely warranted. Uh, and you can read that article, I urge everyone to read that article, it's, it's very interesting stuff. Uh, number three, there's Miriam Lord talking about the uh, the uh, marriage equality referendum, the quiet, yes, kept its counsel. they spoke when it mattered.
0: Certainly you can't argue being below that piece.
3: No, certainly not, not, not for the weekend, send it on. And at number one is Breda O'Brien with an inconvenient truth about the same-sex marriage referendum. Right. Uh, so I thought, well, this would probably be bloody good because, you know... Uh it's it's obviously taken the, the top spot from Ken Early. Only Henry's belief can keep fading star Rogers in Liverpool job. <laughs> so I, I checked it out and uh uh well I saw that there'd been there'd been some criticism of this article online and one of the things people were criticizing was that uh Breed O'Brien had um, had supposedly said um uh, well, she said, we don't have to admire a political system that's ignored 734,300 voters, aside from six five TDs and senators who dare to be different. And people were saying, well, you know, Brita, we do live in a democracy, so if more voters vote one way than the other way, then unfortunately, in a, in a kind of an either-or situation, the ones who vote, the ones who are in the minority actually do get ignored. But in Brita Ryan's defence, I've got to say, I don't think that's actually what she's saying. What she's complaining about there is the fact that the... Political establishment, the sort of parties in the doll didn't really reflect the fact that thirty-seven percent of people thought it was more like a kind of a uh, you know ninety percent of the or ninety-five percent of the doll was 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 going one way. So I think that's I don't think she's questioning the entire basis of of democracy. Um, but the the point of the piece is essentially that she's she's quite worried. I mean, obviously it's great that people feel good about this, and it's good that you know some people feel happier and more equal and all that. But the article is called An Inconvenient Truth, a little bit like Al Gore's global warming documentary, remember that? Mm. And sometimes we have a tendency as human beings to focus on the positive and and forget about certain inconvenient truths. Uh, And in this instance, uh, the inconvenient truth has to do with uh, surrogacy and uh, and the way in which uh, the uh, children will not be able to meet up with their biological parents. Uh, For instance... um, Every time two men bring a new child into the world, they need to use surrogacy every time, she says. Now, I just want to say at this time that I understand the concern about this. This is a real issue and there is concern, but help is on the way. Go on. Um, I just want to soothe uh, Brida O'Brien by, by saying that that may well be the case for now, but just give it time. Give it time. Given time, Owen, I think. I think we may even live to see the day you and I own when we could have a child together.
0: Myself and yourself.
3: Yeah, if we were to fall in love, if this professional relationship lasting many years was to blossom into something deeper, Mm -hmm. if we were to realize at some point, looking at each other, that in fact we'd loved each other all along, um, thanks to Saturday, thanks to Friday's vote, we could enshrine our love uh, in marriage and then we could. Obviously have to be, we, maybe we'd want to have children. But I believe that we would actually be able to have children ourselves, our own biological children. All right. I mean we've got a we've got two X chromosomes between us. We could even we could even have a daughter. I mean, what's the difference between men and women? What, we're talking about one chromosome out of forty six, whether it's X or Y. We've each we've got an X chromosome each we could contribute. We me and you Owen could have a beautiful baby daughter together. That would be
1: that would be beautiful. I, I mean, you, am I going to be Godfather?
3: Well, yeah, I Yeah I, 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 mean, I
1: just want to be involved, you know, if in any way possible.
3: Yeah, we, we. I mean, I, I think we can, we can get as as many people involved. Well, my seven kids don't want to
0: commit to the whole Godfather, Godmother choice just yet, Ken. Let's let's hold fire on that.
3: I mean, well, good, Simon well, Hicks
0: have
1: over ba- there. we'd have to baptize this uh, child first of all, I suppose. I mean, surrogacy.
3: God, we may, we may have to avail. We may have to to enlist a woman to help us with gestational surrogacy, although maybe not even maybe by that stage you'll be able to have a little, a kind of a, a baby vat, uh, that in which, uh, you know, the, the the gestation of the of the embryo can uh, can be brought to a full term. So there wouldn't be any, I mean, Brito Brown has outlined a situation in which uh, an I- Irish woman who's in Denmark for some reason is, is wondering how to find her father, but he's a Danish sperm donor and he can't track her down. There, there wouldn't actually be that complication. It would just be, me and you would be the biological parents of the child. And... Uh, and it seems like quite a simple, quite a simple and elegant uh, setup. So if anyone is worried about this kind of situation, I say, fear not, uh, life will find a way, science will find a way. Uh, and we can all uh, pretty soon, thanks to the miracle of genetic science, uh, put these uh, cares and worries behind us.
0: I'm intrigued as to what the second story in Kennedy's Report on Sport is going to be. <laughs>
3: Um oh well, where are we now? Uh, I suppose we should talk we should start talking about the champion uh, jose Mourinho, the champion manager of the Premier League champions
0: yeah let's talk jose marino
3: um I think we have everything uh, he says to uh, he says, can anybody say we don't play fantastic football? No, well, they can, but it's not true. Uh, we have art in our game, but we also have fantastic spirit organization pragmatism we are a complete team. that is why we are champions um yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to say, it's time for everybody to applaud Jose Mourinho. He has done his job very well. I'm sure people will put out well. You know, he already got a great team, and he signed, you know, great players. Yes, he did, but that's, I suppose, part of his job as well—identifying uh, players, getting the players that you want. I mean, why is it? Why does it seem to be easier for Chelsea to sign? Uh, good players to sign top players from other European clubs than it is for other Premier League clubs might that have something to do with the fact that players want to play for Jose Mourinho players believe when they go to Jose Mourinho club that he's going to have a strong team there that's going to be competitive uh, to win trophies Ses Fabregas you know he had I'm sure he had other options but this is the team that he wanted to play for
0: it also seemed with Jose Mourinho pre-season that they, first of all they got it all done very early and secondly it all seemed quite targeted ok we need a striker quite obviously Let's get this striker. We need whoever else. Let's get them in with Manchester United. Maybe because it all started a little bit later, and Van Hal was at the World Cup. By the time they actually got around to it, there seemed to be a bit more of a case of let's just throw a load of stuff at the wall here mm. and see see what happens.
1: Yeah, well, it's a little more difficult though, I suppose, when <coughs> you're Manchester United and you scratch. You, well, there's a starting. Well, there's also more the fact that the need seemed pretty intense in six or seven positions mm. whereas with Chelsea actually all they really needed was two players and they went out and signed those two players and won the league it's
3: true I mean Chelsea the, the players that Chelsea signed you know Fabregas Costa Courtois they're the three who have really contributed this season I mean Felipe Luis came in as well and I'm sure he would have been a regular in any other team but he's been in and out of Chelsea a little bit uh, more out than in to be to be fair and um, but you know they—they they already knew they had strong players in every other position, uh, and the players they brought in have all been kind of hits. Uh, whereas with Manchester United, it's a case of we almost just need to buy a load of what we hope are top players now. Some of them will obviously not work out, but the ones that are, we then build our new team around those guys. Um, so uh, that's you know maybe that's the the difference between them. We'll Manchester United will have to be more competitive next year than they were this year. Um, Didier Drogba chaired off the field. I don't know if you saw this on he. He he was literally carried from the field after twenty eight minutes by his teammates. Um, seemed like the whole thing had degenerated into a bit of a joke. But you know, to be fair, that's kind of the way Chelsea's season has been for uh, a few weeks now. That's what happens when you win the league uh, quite early, and you, there isn't really you know you're just waiting to pick up the cup really. So congratulations to Chelsea, uh, easily the best team in the league, and um, you know hopefully the other teams can can give them more of a. Uh, Run for the money next season.
0: No, the real manager of the season.
3: John Carver Owen. John Carver. You saw what happened when Hannes Gutierrez scored that goal.
0: Oh, when he ran it appeared, careered towards the bench, hmm. looking to celebrate with the manager who put him back in the team. Steadied um, the
1: ship and uh, got them home. But like, he, like
3: like Van Persie and Van Hal in the World Cup, that was what it looked as though he was lining up for.
0: Didn't quite happen that way though.
3: Well, John Carver clearly. I mean, John Carver clearly thought that was going to happen because he, um, with this sort of puce face of joy, was um, careering forward to the pitch as as, as Gutierrez came swooping past. Uh, but Gutierrez just—I don't know if he veered slightly.
1: It's a high risk maneuver, isn't it? You really put yourself out there. I mean, it, John Carver could have dived for. <laughs> I mean, if he'd rugby ta- tackled Gutierrez, then I suppose, you know, it would have taken the, the, the high five dodging out of the equation. You know, just jumped on top of him. He
3: settled for slapping the man next to Gutierrez on the, on the arm.
1: Just clotheslined Gutierrez, stopped him in his tracks.
3: I wondered if Gutierrez, I mean, Gutierrez clearly would have seen Carver there. Oh, couldn't could not have. Um, but he decided not to go for the high five. Maybe he was, maybe there's a subtle little point in there now, John. Uh, you actually don't really deserve any credit for what's just happened here. Um, I did that. Uh, Carver himself talking about the game. Uh, Let's talk about the week because I think it's very important. We realized this was a Champions League final and we prepared for a big game. Our preparation has been absolutely first class. Overseen, of course, by John Carver. uh, You know when you look in players' eyes, you can tell they're ready for the moment. I've been in a dressing room once before in a playoff final. When I looked in people's eyes, they didn't fancy it. I sat in the dressing room today and I looked into people's eyes and we were ready for this game. I went, what did that look like? Did he really do that? Did he sit there beadily staring around, making con- eye contact with everyone? Did he do that?
0: I uh, don't know. After five minutes, Gutierrez just stop staring at me.
3: Please stop looking at me, John. You can still say, why for the one game that you have to win have you put in a performance like that? But we have because this was the situation. When I looked into the players' eyes, I had that good feeling. All the preparation has been good. All the football work. I talked about our attacking play, our defensive play, all our technical and tactical work was put to the side, our fitness conditioning put to the side. We just had to deal with the emotion. I thought we dealt with the emotion better than I've ever seen. Um, and he talked about, um, uh, you know, he talked. He essentially talks about the uh, his own situation at, at some length. Uh, uh, when I taught, it was talked about staying away from the press, I didn't mean staying away from doing interviews. I meant not watching Sky Sports 24 hours a day or BBC or ITV, whatever it was. I've watched nothing this week. I've told the players to do the same thing. Sometimes it takes that energy out of you. The preparation has been first class. I've never watched so much cricket in my life and golf. I miss my football, but I did it for a reason. (laughs) This is is what John Carver does. (laughs) Watches cricket and golf all week. I mean, I don't know. Would you?
1: uh, What he's saying there is in his spare moments, he's not watching... Well, he says, yes. I've
3: never watched so much cricket in my life and golf. I've missed my football, but I did it for a reason.
1: Well, I mean, on top of his very important footballing work, which is, you know, uh, looking back over the tapes, you yeah. know, a bit of video analysis, that's, that's, that's what's required. Training
3: here. the players... Yeah. for the week.
0: Carver is bound to glory in his moments and he's probably, well, who fra- says, he's, he's right to do that. But- who
3: says this is the end? Because Carver says, it feels like you just won the cup. That's what it feels like. I actually sit here now feeling like I have won the cup. And wouldn't it be great in the future to be sitting here having won a cup? Uh, he says, I know Mike Ashley's come out and said he wants to win things and he's going nowhere. That's a good thing. That's a good thing as long as we get everyone together. Me, uh, Mike, Lee, myself, whoever it is, me because I want this job by the way so there's another story for you I'm not going anywhere <laughs> unless they tell me uh, I'm going somewhere them. else but I want the, uh, unless they tell me I'm going somewhere else but I want this job it would be nice sitting here with a cup in our hands celebrating will you tell them Owen, or will I? <laughs> Gutierrez gave a much more perspective laden interview afterwards well
0: first of all he was talking about this is immediately after the game talking about coming back from cancer and how he didn't realise like, he didn't a few months back, he didn't even think he'd be back playing football. So there was the that incredibly emotional part to it. But also, even even with that emotion swirling around in his head, he said, "Look, this is a great day for the fans. delighted for them. But they know, and we know, that this isn't the type of day that this club should have. We're a top ten club, and it's nonsensical that we're even in this position about having to fight relegation." Don't think Carver was showing quite as much perspective on it as Gutierrez.
3: Well, look, Carver is just just a completed a he's sitting there with the cup. Well, he feels as though he's sitting there with the cup. He might actually Champions League, the the European Champions Cup. Do you think
1: I have a cup commissioned? Yeah. Well, to paraphrase Arsene Wenger, finishing seventeenth is also a cup. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that. What Ashley said was finishing the top four was a cup, but seventeenth is as much a cup as any. You know, I mean, for instance, the playoff final. No, those those guys would feel like they've won a cup. And what have they got? The right to be promoted to the Premier League. Which Newcastle just got yesterday, so that's kind of the same, mm. isn't it? It's similar. Yeah. If it's he wanted similar. a
1: cup, he could play the playoff champions, and they can hand up uh, hand out a trophy after that.
3: Um, that, that could work. Well, that, yeah, I but don't know. It would know make
1: if, as much sense as the playoff champions getting a cup.
3: I'm not sure Newcastle would be too keen to sign up to that. Uh, but you know, um, the, you know, Newcastle still in the league, so and they are a big club. They're a bigger club than Hull City. You know, I think everyone would have to say.
0: Oh, if you take out the Irish element to it, I'd rather Newcastle be in the league than Hull. But then Hull do have a team almost entirely filled with Irish players. (laughs) I know.
3: And Diana McDonald, I saw tweeting yesterday that uh, there are now, as it stands, assuming, you know, the transfer window may change it, but there are no Irish players under the age of 23 as a starting player in the Premier League team now. Not a single one, which is, yeah, that's not great. I mean, there's still a few Irish players in Premier League teams, but... Not any not any new ones. Uh, not all of those
0: ones are starters necessarily.
3: Uh no, exactly. Um so yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. But uh one of those Irish players, one of the oldest Irish player, I guess, in the Premier League, is Shea Given, and he is apparently now a doubt for the cup final according to Tim Sherwood. He didn't play um in Villa's last game. That was Jed Steer. Jed Steer. Is asked to, Is that not the most out of it? cowboy novel name you've ever heard Jed Steer is an English goalkeeper uh, he was he was given a run out by Tim Sherwood you you, not, you you need to assess young goalies you don't often get the chance to look at them Shea is a doubt we're not reeling him out yet though uh, so the cup final is, the FA Cup final is next week so hopefully um, Shea Given is going to make that i would be that. disappointing oh, yeah. be, what a sickening that would be I mean Jesus he's just been he's sat there for years not playing a game they get to the cup final which is like a miracle and then he gets injured at the wrong time. So, you know, I, I imagine that Shay Given. We know what Shay Given's attitude is to injuries when there are big games coming up. He's in the mind over matter camp. He um, could suggest that maybe at Euro twenty twelve he wasn't at the very peak of his fitness. But has any player ever worked harder to make sure he was in the team uh, for major international matches? I I don't think anyone works harder than Shay Given in those situations. So I'm sure he will be. Um, champing at the bit that's the cliche to get involved in that team
0: Tell us what you wrote in the Irish Times about Brendan Rodgers today before you were crudely knocked off top spot by Breed O'Brien
3: Well I don't know if I ever made top spot on it. to be honest I think I was, uh, I was floundering around just trying yeah, to scrape into str- Struggling for the Champions League places
1: Fourth place is also a trophy though Fourth just place just is, it.
3: Kind, of a, is a kind of a trophy although I'm not sure I mean I'll just click a five here
0: Yeah I'll have a little refresh there see where you are um, yeah, you're still number so, four there. Just,
3: yeah, number four. You know, so i yeah, yeah, holding, hold clinging on. Minimum expectations. Uh, where are we? Just, just poor old Brendan Rogers. I mean, I think he was lost for words after this game, and and he looked really, uh, he looked uh, drawn and and sort of hunted. And he said something. He said, "I've always said, if the owners want me to go, I'll go." I thought you never said that. When it, no, you never. I can't remember Brendan Rogers saying that. Although he also said, "I've always said." It's easy when you're 5-0 down. <laughs> You've never said that never either. You've that literally way. never said that sentence before. He said something like, it's easy when you're 3-0 down. It wasn't after the Arsenal game. Meaning, you know, the game's won, the other team's easing off a bit. You're playing for a bit of pride. Usually things stabilize. Uh, that's what he said after the In game. In fairness
0: to Brendan Rodgers, he probably talks about football quite a lot. Right, mm. I'm sure he's got a social circle who ask him about football, mm. maybe even his family don't know his friends. They could all ask me. This. Maybe he's not sure what he said. I know this myself, Ken. Sometimes I'm blurting out a story on air. I'm thinking, I've, I've never told this story on air before. And then I realise afterwards, oh, I have. Oh. I thought it was just something that I talked
3: about with my pals. Yeah, but actually. So yeah.
0: I feel Brendan Rogers' pain. Like I've always said, Ken. I, I, myself and Brendan Rogers are kindred spirits.
3: Yeah, you you, are, you have said it a few times, actually. I mean, he is he's in a, a very difficult position now. Um, the season has ended uh, disastrously. And now he's got to go over to talk to John Henry. And I mean, this could happen quickly, Owen. You know, what I mean, because Liverpool are in a situation there where they've got a manager who, I think, a lot of supporters at this stage think may, may has taken the, Maybe has taken this team as far as he can. I mean, how, how far has he taken them? He's taken them to almost exactly the position they were in after his first season. They have won. They won. They won more points, a lot fewer goals, and a much worse goal difference than they did then. I mean, they've. They ended up nearly conceding as many goals on this season as they did last season. Remember, we were talking about it uh, the other week. Um, they went from 101 goals to 51, um, and uh, it was uh, 50 goals conceded to 42. But now those those totals are 52 goals scored, so they lost 40, what 49? They lost 49 goals and conceded 48. So they managed to improve by two. The total that they, you know, so that's not good. Uh, I mean, that's got to be. One of the biggest drops ever in goal difference. Yeah. I'm not sure.
0: It looks bad for Rogers.
3: Yeah, it looks it looks extremely bad. When could got, one
0: result? Sorry, could, cross you, but could, could one result kill him? Is there any chance we're trying to look into the minds here of the Fenway Sports Group? Ken, but is there any possibility that he might have limped on and they might have given him another year? But they looked at this last game of the season and said it's gone from wrapping uh, the knuckles to uh, bullet in the heart.
3: <laughs> bullet in the heart sounds pretty serious. Um let's let's leave it at Brendan Rodgers took a really bad beating. You know, he's and he's in a he's in a bad way. He took a bad beating. Um uh you know, I think uh, I mean you're what you're asking is could could the spectacular nature of one defeat yeah. really effectively I don't think so actually. I, I think okay, freak results happen. You know, it is a, there's an element of freakishness to the result. Um worrying. So maybe it was the uh, certain, the culmination of a lot of worrying trends that have been going on, you know, sort of the worst possible scenario unfolding. Um, but I don't. I, I think it would be foolish to make up your mind on the basis of one game. I think more on the basis of what you look, what what you can see happening over the whole season. That's the problem. And what I was writing in the US Times is essentially that on each, you know, they've had three kind of phases in their season. They started off really badly, and I think Rogers was quite was kind of becoming quite defeatist towards the end of that. You know, he he lost a sort of a bullion confidence. Um, and I think that what really capped that off was when they went to Real Madrid and, and almost surrendered before the ball was kicked. And you thought, why would you do that? I mean, the ostensible reason was to, was to rest players for a game against Chelsea, which I suppose Rogers thought was important to win in order that they qualify for the Champions League. But when you're in the Champions League and you're playing against Real Madrid, there's no point in being in the Champions League play, to play against Real Madrid if you then effectively say, well, you know, we'll leave.
1: Hopefully (laughs) next year we'll get a chance to play play you again.
3: We've got got to leave. They left out, you know, uh, Sterling, Gerrard, Henderson, I think these kind of big players in in their team. And they actually played better in that game than they did in the other game. But, you know, if you were to be very cynical about it, and, you know, you have to accept what Brendan Rodgers is saying about the Chelsea game. You have to to accept that. You know, he's a manager. He's saying, look, I've got finite resources. I've got to prioritise, you know. But there's also the fact that if Liverpool had taken another bad beating in that Real Madrid match, well, everybody knows it was a weakened team. It sort of almost uh, takes a bit of the pressure off the result of that game, if you know what I mean. I, I mean, my opinion was at the time that that was, a, that was a mistake. You have to try and win that game. It's You're unlikely to do it, but you have to try. Yeah, I agree, yeah. You have to try. And, you know, so that's why I thought maybe he was he was being a little pessimistic at that stage. It was like the results had gone tough on him. But then when they started doing well, he... he 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 almost immediately kind of had come back to, well you know we're we're very good again. Remember there was the there was the moment when uh, people were saying maybe you need a defensive coach, Brendan, and then for a few games they didn't let in any goals, and uh, someone and as in, as happens in press conferences, someone said oh the defense is doing a lot better now, Brendan. You know why, why didn't that is? And Roger said with a glint in his eye, he said it's that defensive coach that uh, certain people wanted us to appoint. That's yeah, that's the reason we're doing a lot better. And kind of a little twinkle in the eye there. You know what I mean? Um... But look, I, I don't know. I think I think maybe a manager needs to be hard on his team when it's not when it's doing well, and needs to do more to boost the confidence of the team. When it's he's
0: being reactive rather than proactive with regards he's, to the he, mood of the team,
3: he's kind of surfing surfing the wave when it's good, but then like going down uh, with the ship. You know, when when it's you know you know what I mean. We're
0: going to get back to Liverpool shortly. I know you want a quick word in Sepp Blatter before you end the report on sport. What's going on with Sep?
3: Well, Sepp Blatter, uh, the FIFA elections this week, Friday. And everyone's dropped out, apart from uh, Prince Ali, the Jordanian candidate. So Sepp Blatter's going to win. This is, As Figo said, Figo said dropping out, this is not an election. You know, I've been around here. I don't, I don't understand what's going on in FIFA. It's really weird. I see people compare Sepp Blatter to the devil. And then they get up on stage a few minutes later and go, Sepp Blatter is like Jesus Christ. This is what Figo said. You know, they compare him, you know, in private, oh, he's like the devil himself. And then it's like, he's like Jesus Christ. He's like Mandela. From the podium, you know, figures like this is not. I don't. I don't get what's going on here. I need to go away and study up a little bit on politics to figure out what is going on with this organization. But Sepp Blatter did an interview with Noya uh, Zurscher Datung, uh, which is kind of his house journal. Uh, the article is entitled "An Audience with Sepp Blatter." I mean, who else do you have an audience with? You know what I mean? Um, Elton John. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, Sepp Blatter, Elton John, and the Pope. Yeah. Um, Prince, not Prince, Pope uh, Francis, <laughs> Prince Francis. Um, and and he starts off jovially uh, uh, joking with the journalists over his um, reputation. Oh, a room always darkens when I walk in, eh? eh? Kind of elbowing the guy in the ribs, you know what I mean? And the guy goes, Ah, oh, yes, Sepp Blatter, the dark lord of football, Don Blatter, the godfather, the shadow man. <laughs> Shadow Man is, is apparently something they call him. Blatter, anyway, laughs off uh, this kind of talk. And he says, actually, I'm a mountain goat. He says, a Walliser mountain goat." Vallis being the area of Switzerland that he's from, mountain goat that always runs and runs and runs. You can't stop me. Says so This is literally what he said. Um, so they make the point that that uh, throughout history, the people of Step Blatter's region in Switzerland, you know, mountainous kind of region, had to fight the Germans... Uh, the Italians, the Romance, all of these tribes, you know, uh, and this required craftiness, endurance, and patience. These these are the, the qualities that have been bred into his people um, in, their, in their harsh mountain uh, world. Um, so they're saying, but Sepp, you know, you seem to be very unpopular. I mean, what's all that about? And he says, well, when a man in my position only seems to have friends, something's wrong. You know, my philosophy is you can't please everyone. Um, they say, well, actually, it seems to us like your philosophy is, and there's some proverb they use here, but feed today what feeds you tomorrow. So I guess it's a kind of a, you reap what you sow type of proverb. Um, bladder is kind of like, well, you know, I mean, if you want to say that about me, then that's fine. And they said, well, you have changed your, your opinion on this because you said the last time you were elected fifth president or you, you were going for fifth presidency, this is my last term. And yet here you are running for a fifth term. You know what what happened there? And he said, "Well, um, I've changed my opinion. Everyone can change their opinion when the facts change." And it turns out, although Blatter doesn't actually say this, but what the newspaper uh, asserts is that the fact that has changed here is has to do with Michel Platini. Uh, Blatter says of Platini, "Platini, he was my natural successor. Um, obviously, he's not anymore." Um, but the paper then says the the problem Blatter had with Platini is that he wants uh, Platini's idea was to weaken FIFA and strengthen the confederation, so kind of to decentralize the power a little bit um, to make the confederations more influential. And Blatter appears to have used this quite cleverly against uh, Platini by essentially going around the world and saying to everybody, listen, what Platini wants is to put UEFA in the driving seat. He wants to give power to the confederations, but because UEFA is the biggest and the richest, they'll, they'll suddenly be calling all the shots. If you have a strong FIFA especially strong FIFA headed by somebody like me, uh, you can be sure that I will look after the rights of all the, of the little uh, the little confederations. You know, it's a one confederation, one vote system. Very democratic in one sense, but it also enables Bladder to control huge swathes of the vote with comparatively small quantities of aid from the central uh, coffers, you know what I mean? So he's kind of, uh, he's able to, uh, withstand opposition from, you know, big countries—Germany, uh, Britain, and so on. Germany, Eng- England—I should say—just um, it, by controlling lots of small ones. Um, he so that's essentially he, 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 a couple of other things he said. One is that you know people—it's a typical journalist thing to say—oh, because Blatter hasn't like done everything he was told to by this reform guy, that like the whole reform process is just like kaput. Well, that's not true because I've actually taken on board 37 of the recommendations, just not every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not true. I finish off by giving some biographical details, some slightly strange biographical detail. Actually, he says I'm a simple and devout, devout man. Every time I go home to my hometown of Visp. The first place I go to visit is the family grave. I was there two weeks ago. I spoke to my mother. Uh, My mother said to me, come to me. I said, mother, don't worry. All's good with me, but it's not yet time. So essentially, uh, he he will join her one day, uh, but not just yet because his work isn't done. That's
0: it for Kennedy's Report on Sport.
2: A flame hair, a
3: flame Heard, hair, truth, flame Mr. Bro, truth, Mr. Ken Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around and bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about. I'm John Hayes. Now I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes for him.
0: Thanks a lot, perfect How much do want to give a fuck? Fair to say anybody could have managed those
3: guys? No, of course
0: not.
2: Let me show you right now for you give it up.
0: John Bruin was at the KC Stadium to watch Hull get relegated. John, it struck me that certainly watching on TV, I'd be interested how it came across actually being there. Steve there were a lot of pro Steve Bruce chants during the game. There was warm applause at the end of it. It seemed like everybody was kind of okay with being relegated.
4: Yes, yes, I, I agree with that, actually. Um, interesting psychology there. If you compare how that would it would have been at Newcastle to how it was at Hull, I, I don't think there would have been any comparison to make. Um, it would have been, you know, insurrection on the streets of Newcastle. Uh, walking back to the station in Hull, it just seemed like a quiet Sunday evening. Walk past a couple of pubs where people seemed to be fairly cheerily drinking. Um I suppose to think think through that um, Hull City is a club that had never actually been in the top division of English football till two thousand and eight. It's a traditional second division club, um, and it's Steve Bruce himself is somebody that in Hull is a very popular man. Um, there's a sign behind one of the goals that says "In Bruce We Trust." Um, they were in the second half, even as the game was going against them, they were singing for Steve Bruce. Now there was a bit of a slight bit of rebellion where they started singing songs about the uh, owner, Asan Alam, uh, because he's obviously the owner that's tried to change the club's name. Uh, But even that got shouted down. And then there was just applause for the players, which was quite an odd sight because obviously the players are absolutely devastated, a lot of them on their knees and yet they're being applauded for their efforts. Um, I'm not sure that there are many clubs where such a reaction would happen, maybe Burnley this season, but look at the other club relegated, QPR, um, they're not too well disposed towards their players there.
3: No, absolutely. I mean, I I can understand Steve Bruce actually being a popular guy with his supporters because Steve Bruce always seems to me like a nice man. Um he you know, he, I can't remember too many terrible things. I can't remember him getting mixed up in too many awful incidents, Steve Bruce, in his seventeen, his proud 17-year career in management. I have heard it said of Steve Bruce, though, that he um, always does well at a club when he arrives there first, and then the more he spends on the team, the worse the team gets. Is that a, an unfair analysis of, of his, uh, of his um, work, do you think?
4: No, not at all. I mean, obviously, working through the piece I did off the game, I mean, you look at his... He was manager of Birmingham for for some years, wasn't he? and he eventually got them relegated um and uh though he did take them back up i think um Sunderland similar story uh and also at Wigan, where he made Wigan quite a good team, but the expenses went up such that uh when Roberto Martinez replaced him, they had to reduce a lot of the costs, and that's why. Wigan from being a sort of reasonable mid-table team went to being a team that was fighting against relegation now you know Bruce as a person um, I think if you speak speak to the journalists that deal with him daily in Holt they think he's great, he's really easy to deal with, from my personal point of view I mean Steve Bruce is from uh, the next town along from me and uh when I was a lad, a mate of mine used to uh, deliver pizzas to Steve Bruce on a on a Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Uh, every and Saturday two,
3: night, or maybe sometimes after midweek games.
4: Yeah, yeah. This is when this is when players used to play on a Saturday three o'clock. But um, and the the, the tip was always pretty good. So, um, and I'll tell you, what, it was at Hull a whole month or two ago, and I saw him do something that you don't see many Premier League managers do. And uh, there was a you know, a fairly old guy was carrying out some bins, uh, and I saw Steve Bruce help this guy carry the, <laughs> the, the, this rubbish over to the bins. Now, I don't think you see Jose Mourinho doing things like that.
3: I wouldn't nah. thought so. No, nah, you wouldn't want to get photographed next to all that rubbish. Um, too many hostages of fortune there, but... Uh, I mean, I wonder what you make of what's actually happened to Hull, because I, I think that at the end of last season, they looked like they had quite a strong team. I mean, I remember when Shane Long signed for Southampton, wondering if that was necessarily going to be a good move for him, uh, given that Southampton had sold a, a bunch of players who, you know, seemed to be important in their team. Uh, obviously, that's, that's been shown to be completely idiotic. Uh, uh, opinion. It's, it was a good move. Uh, definitely Southampton turned out to be a lot stronger this season than Hull, but Hull, Hull were weaker than expected. I mean, what was the problem? Is it is it that England international midfield axis of Livermore and Huddleston turned out to be not quite what it was cracked up to do? Is it just too many Irish players, um, a lead weight, dragging them down into the quicksand?
4: I think you've been a bit unfair on the Irish contingent. I thought they were decent yesterday. I think Robbie Brady was probably the best player on the pitch. Um, David Myler perhaps should have put the ball away and I've always been impressed with Stephen Quinn when I've seen him play for Hull. So don't do yourself down there. Um, I think I think it's what you said before, that sometimes Steve Bruce's purchases um, can go a bit wild. If you actually look at it, uh, Hatton Ben Arthur, OK, it was a loan deal, but there's a guy that caused Hull a lot of problems. They were a little unlucky and they signed Robert Snodgrass, who was supposed to be their creative midfielder. He got injured in the first game, never played another match. Um, and striking-wise, uh, I mean, they signed Shane Long with Nikisa Jelovic um, last January. Um, and, unfortunately, they shut, They sold Shane Long. Now, he's not a prolific goal scorer, but he's a player that can stretch defences. And then Jelovic has struggled all season with a knee problem. So, big problems up front. Um and then Abel Hernandez, uh, Gaston Ramirez, two players that really didn't work out. If you actually look at the transfer business from last summer, I don't think you'll find a good signing amongst them. Maybe Michael Dawson, but again, I think his contribution has been a little bit fitful, had a few injuries himself. Dan mouton contributed a few goals, but Hull as a team, as a squad, actually looked weaker than they did this time last season, um, and you know I think that this the figure is 30, 40 million spent on that. And if you're a club of Hull with limited resources and limited um, scope anyway, That's probably why they're down. And uh, 33 goals all season, that tells the real story.
0: Yeah, Newcastle have, uh, well, they should have more resources anyway. Uh, It depends on how much Mike Ashley wants to invest in the club over the next few years. It seems like he's there for the long haul now after trying to sell them about 100 times. He did his first ever interview and he reckons he's not going to leave them without at least a measure of success. And it seems like avoiding relegation isn't success enough for Mike Ashley. What did you make of his interview?
4: Well it's strange actually because someone just, I didn't actually realize that he'd done a TV interview until this morning. I was just watching it. And it was like, I don't know. It was like, like the set the stone roses, second album coming out or something like that. It was just a sort of incredible moment to hear him speak. The only time I'd ever heard him speak previously was on an episode of the celebrity apprentice when Louise Redknapp phoned him and he's on speakerphone. And so it was just this weird thing to see Mike Ashley talking. Um, but what he said was quite taking in a way. Um, uh, he left himself uh, very open to he, what he promised. Um, I'm sure that Newcastle fans would love that to come true. If it's if it's possible, uh, the amount of money that he's, he's going to have to invest for Newcastle to win a trophy or qualify for a Champions League will be huge. Um, and he seemed to suggest that he's willing to do that. Um it just it just one of those very strange moments. It's almost one of the moments of the season that, that that Mike Ashley has finally come out and spoken. Now, you do have to say that maybe if he'd done this eight years ago, when he came into the club, or and did it regularly, then there might be not so many problems as there have been.
3: Do you think? I mean, because the problem with the, with that, I mean, I, I heard Jamie Carragher express a similar view. You know, he's like, why, why has not he done this before? You know. Um, this kind of Wizard of Oz figure has finally spoken, come out of the shadows a little bit, and maybe people are, I don't know, less disposed to um, less disposed to hate someone they can put a human face on uh, in this way, or, or attach a voice coming out to, out of a human mouth. I suppose since they already knew what he looked like. But you know, I mean, I wonder if if he was to speak regularly, would that not sort of um, undermine his manager in a way? I mean, not many chairmen actually do. Talk regularly. If he was, to, if he was to be a kind of a vocal presence, um, then surely it would undercut whoever was the Newcastle manager.
4: Yes, and obviously it would undercut the managing director or the. Fo- I think it's Lee Charnley, isn't it, the football director? Um, but I mean, once in eight years is he probably needs to do it more often. I mean, at times of real crisis, you probably need people like that to come out and try and calm people's fears. Um, and it, it just—I suppose it was a strange time for him to do it. Um, I just can't. I'm still sort of quite amazed that I've heard Mike Ashley speak. I'm not. I'm not sure. We just can't even regard him as the Greta Garbo of football anymore. I suppose it's Roman Abramovich's turn next, isn't it?
3: Well, Roman Abramovich and the, and the Glazer brothers. I suppose I haven't
0: a joint interview, maybe a uh, Talking Heads kind of job. Yeah, I haven't. That could be your next
3: assignment, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just wondered, uh, John, briefly what you made of uh, what West Ham decided to do. I mean, 452, I think they tweeted the final score from their club account. And at 455, uh, they confirmed that Sam Allardyce was going to be leaving. What took so long, Ken? It was, uh, Sam Allardyce, I, 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 wonder, I couldn't make out what he, what his mood was. Cause he was, this question was put to him in his post-match interview. And the guy said, well, you know, Sam, he basically put it to him that he, that he was leaving. And, and Sam kind of smiled. Uh, gave like a, a, a dazzling uh, grin, and he said, "Well, I know that." Uh, and he, and he, he kind of went on as though, "Well, you know, I was I was kind of leaving anyway, and you don't want to outstay, You're welcome." I couldn't work out whether he was angry or uh, and trying to cover it up, or actually, you know, on his own for his own part, quite satisfied to be leaving West Ham at this time.
4: Yes, I, I suppose in, in in Allardyce's mind, he's done a good job, and actually, if you look at the the facts and figures of it, over his four-year term, he's got them promoted and he's made them safe as a Premier League team. In Sam Allardyce's fairly limited scope as a manager, that's what Sam Allardyce does. Um, Now, he thinks that, obviously, he should be managing Inter Milan, Real Madrid, etc., etc. And people don't recognise him for what he does. Um, But also, on the flip side of that, you've got the fact that you go down to West Ham and you speak to West Ham fans about what they think about Sam Allardyce, well, there is no love lost in in many, many cases. Though there are others who are slightly more pragmatic who would have liked Sam Allardyce to stay around next season because uh, he would be the manager to keep them up so that they go into the Olympic Stadium debt-free, which is part of the agreement of them uh, going up into the the new stadium. Um, It's always been an odd fit for me because he's a bluff northern bloke in an East London club never been quite the fit the football doesn't fit what West Ham fans want from their managers Um, and I think his relations with the ownership uh, the people that run the club has been testing at times Um, I mean he didn't turn I think someone was telling me that the player of the year do which is a couple of weeks ago Um, Sam Allardyce didn't even do a speech which is pretty rare for a manager to not do a speech at uh, at, a, at such a do. I mean, Louis van Gaal obviously being the the prime example of how this stuff should be carried out. Um, and uh, yeah, Allardyce. I, I, I suppose the thing is with Allardyce, he knows that uh, he can relax for a bit over the summer. And should a club get itself into relegation trouble in the middle of the season, then the core will come into Sam Allardyce. He's he's happy with his lot and. Uh, didn't seem to me too unhappy to be leaving West Ham.
0: You mentioned Van Hal's uh, little speech there last week, uh, John, and it seemed to probably add to the feel-good factor around Old Trafford at the moment. Despite finishing, it was really achieving the minimum expectation, I guess. And in amongst all the hilarity around that speech, the, the fact that they were that there was this uh, hilarity around finishing second. That Wayne Rooney really said, "No, we'll finish second now." and uh, Van Hal says, "Yes, this is uh, this is unbelievable." Have we gotten to a point now where Manchester United need to win the league next season or would United fans be happy enough to consolidate and just keep qualifying for Champions Leagues for the next couple of seasons?
4: I think a Manchester United fan would expect their team to compete for the title. Um, On my train back down to London, obviously there's a few Manchester United fans on there and just hearing what they were saying and chatting to a couple of them, they're not impressed with the style of football that Van Gaal's had this season. They're not impressed with that limited ambition. I think many of them um, would accept that finishing fourth is not a bad outcome considering what happened in the previous season under David Moyes. But um, Louis is away for his holiday at the moment. Um, but the work starts very soon. And he yesterday, we were talking after the game, he did seem to suggest that he realised that the work had to begin very soon uh, and things have to be better. Um, but, just judge if, Even if you just check yesterday's match, um, that's a team that needs an awful lot of work within it. Um, and uh, It's going to be an interesting summer ahead. Um, I suppose one thing he did say was that he told all the players that were leaving, he'd spoken to those and all the ones he wanted to say he'd spoken to those as well. So things are in motion at United, um, but as I say, a very big season for them and those fans expect United to compete.
0: John, thanks for thanks for today and for chatting to us throughout the season.
4: Cheers. Cheers, lads. Have a good summer.
0: Yeah, just to go back to the Irish players there, John Bruin defending our boys, Ken, which I think was fair enough. Mm-hmm. Robbie Brady in particular is the one guy there who provides, not the one guy, but one of the players who provides technical quality. And the rest of them are so wholehearted. Paul McShane, I know I was joking about being bandaged up earlier on after that ridiculous tackle by... Selleini, but even he's a centre half, and he was the guy getting forward and having one goal disallowed, almost heading in another. What they might lack in uh, in top quality play, you would you would hope that that sort of wholeheartedness might be enough to keep you up in the Premier League, but it hasn't mm-hmm. happened for them.
3: No, it hasn't happened. I mean, it, you know, it's not an ideal situation to have to play Man United on the last day. I think Hull maybe would have beaten another team. Yeah, Man United, obviously, one of the best teams in the in the league. Um, even if they were, I don't know if they were 100% at it. You know? No, the commentator
0: was praising, was it Ian Dark in this one, praising the uh, Manchester United approach. This again shows the integrity and honesty of our league. I thought, well, yeah, okay, they're, they're certainly not throwing this game. That's, no. That is true. There's definitely nothing uh, untoward going on here. But I don't know how pumped up they are for it either.
3: No, they, they were a little bit slack. I mean, I, I have to say, I thought Phil Jones was very good. You know, again, and actually Phil Jones had a great season. You know, I mean, we all, everybody laughs at Phil Jones. I mean, and, and he gives you, I mean, we saw, we saw what happened against Arsenal. You know?
1: But it was one of those things that I was watching it thinking, this is a meme Created it's for the, maximum hilarity, and yet it was an actual thing that happened in an actual football game when he headed that ball off. He, it, off it was it like a,
3: a giant catfish, uh, sort of uh, uh, wriggling its way along the the bottom in very shallow water, and managing to knock the ball away with one of its side of its head. You know, this—it's yeah, amazing stuff. Uh, you know, but then again, if the
1: seal was playing. Center half for Manchester United. That is the sort of heroism you'd expect from a seal.
3: Yeah, and this, but also, you know, we we're under, underestimating because it wasn't it wasn't a graceful movement because it wasn't classically elegant defending the likes of which you would associate with Paolo Maldini or Franz Beckenbauer. <laughs> we're maybe we're underestimating. Well, I don't think anyone is underestimating the desire that he had to get his head on that ball. I mean, that's that's very clear. But the the wriggling athleticism of that of that movement actually. Get the head on the ball was, was impressive, you know. And who's the only other defender you can... Well, the only other defender I have in my had a head mental image of him doing that... John Terry. Yes, John Terry in the in the World Cup. And is John Terry or is John Terry not the best English defender of his generation?
0: He is the best English defender of his generation.
3: You'd have to say. He's the best brought, centre-half, certainly. Well, yeah, it's, it's him or Rio Ferdinand, I suppose. But, you know, John Terry is certainly among the best. i say Phil Jones worked out like John Terry, you know, as a football player... Um, Manchester United would consider their money to have been well spent. Took a hell of a punch to the solar plexus as well, Abel Hernandez. He did. You know, he was. He, they were kind of grappling. I mean, he was. He was holding Hernandez by the wrist, and Hernandez was kind of trying to get rid of. You know, trying to trying to pull his hand loose. And eventually, he said, "Okay, you, you want to go of my wrist, or I'll dig you in the guts." I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't nice to see. Him. I'd like to see all that jostling, clamp down on it, place. Certainly.
0: I mean, that, but that's the honesty and integrity of the Premier League. Yeah. A man will punch another man in the solar plexus. Yeah, it will happen. And uh, from from time to get time. up and dust themselves. And let's talk Liverpool with Chris Bascom of the Telegraph. The Telegraph, Chris. A lot of people will probably have missed the Liverpool game live. Uh, Sky assumed, like many of us, that the drama was going to happen elsewhere. Uh, you were there, so can you tell us what exactly happened? Is there any? Have you got any explanation as to why Liverpool were so poor?
2: I mean, I can only say I've covered Liverpool since ninety eight. I've never been so disgusted watching a Liverpool team play. Um, as I said, said in my Telegraph match report this morning, it defied belief how poorly organised they looked, how disinterested they looked, how inept they looked, how things that were going wrong within the first ten minutes. It's just, you know, the, the experiments of Henry Chan as a Guardiola-style right-back making the stout winger look like Cristiano Ronaldo it was just defied anything you've ever seen before and um you know five nil did not flatter stoke at all so where did it go wrong i mean you just go through every everything from the goalkeeper right through the team tactics effort application skill it was pretty horrific i think it's uh,
3: we know that Brent Rogers will be at the centre of a lot of this uh, the debate that follows this, and we'll, we'll get to him in a, in a minute. But it does seem a fairly clear case of the players themselves downing tools. I mean, it doesn't reflect well on, that, uh, on the players who are on the field, regardless of everything else that was going on outside the field.
2: I think that when you look at what's happened since the FA Cup semi-final, I mean, actually, I think maybe even before that, the Manchester United game, before the Manchester United game, it seemed that those things were... Even themselves out of early Liverpool went to that game two points behind. United, they could have gone above them into fourth. And the performances since then have just defied belief. I mean, I, you know, you really are talking a hodgson um, decline in the standard that they are. And whether it's the players believe in their own hype or whether the manager, you know, believe in his own hype and he, he obviously thought he in the corner. Um I think you've, you've just got to look at that. I mean, you know, the Wembley performance was bad enough. I mean, to go into a game of that magnitude and perform as he did against a team that had been playing against relegation, you know, serious alarm bells were ringing. That. But then, even after that game, fourth was still a possibility. I'm pretty sure if Liverpool had beaten Hull, Crystal Palace, Stoke, and there was one other one, West Brom, um you know that's the most challenging set of fixtures in the world. I think they would have got fourth place. They? I mean, I think that, I think that would have made the difference. I don't think the gap between themselves and United, point-wise, was unbridgeable. Um, even after they'd lost to United at Anfield. So, you know, these are pretty serious questions that have to be asked. But again, you know, I, I think you know, not just as the manager, not just as the manager, the whole club. I think everybody. You know, it's easy for people to sit there in positions of power and say, right, let's have a nice little scapegoat here and Brendan Rodgers and then we can get on because there's not a normal way we'd run the club it's just the guy who's applying the policy I think that's a load of rubbish I think um, I think there's a lot of people got to uh, I think questions must be asked of a lot of people at Liverpool
0: A lot of people being the players or the people above Brendan Rodgers as yeah, well yeah, as Rodgers Yeah
2: yeah players, players 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 But you know the, uh, it's well documented it's not just him who buys the players I'm not going to absorb him responsibility into that whole debate because he's as responsible as anybody but there are others who are. I mean, there are some guys who are not even named on the club website who's waiting for the club. Michael Edwards, the club's statistician. I mean, you wouldn't think he's like some Kaiser Sose character. You know, the, the the committee members, Dave Fellows, the scout uh Hunter Barry Hunter, the scout. He always like to buy at least one from Man City every week. Uh, sorry, every season. You know, we've had Colo, we've had Sturridge. Looks um, like Milman's going to come. Uh, You know, everyone's waiting for Rubino to turn up this season. I think you know, keep the trend going. I mean. what what, what smartness are they bringing, what's their
3: package, you know. So, yeah, I think everybody needs to be there, look at that. Yeah, I mean, tell us a a little bit about what happened with Sterling, because we saw uh, there was this photo that, you know, because it was all over the place of Sterling kind of staring up at this bank of uh, Liverpool supporters who were uh, letting him, giving him a piece of their mind, you might say. Um, What was the reaction to Obviously he didn't get on the pitch, but he was there, uh, and he had to warm up and all that so what was the reaction to him and and when you when you step back from this situation which just seems a, an incredible mess which snowballs every week um, wh- where do you pin the responsibility for that this seems to have this. how did this get so badly out of control
2: well yeah, there, were, there were a group of supporters who, who who gave Sterling abuse I wouldn't say it was the whole of the away end but you know you're always going to get a certain probably maybe well, 40 or 50 who, who wanted to make their point to him in terms of how we got to this, well there's two things with Raheem Sterling. I've seen some very well articulated, intelligent articles um, explaining Raheem Sterling's position and they all make very good sense. The only problem with it is there been no relationship to what Raheem Sterling's agents and what Raheem Sterling have been saying. So it, it's a shame that those two weren't as quite quite as, you know, intelligent as some of the people who are writing on their behalf. Because in terms of Raheem Sterling wants to play for the Champions League club and win show fees. You know what? It'd be utter, utter hypocrisy for any Liverpool supporter to have a go at him. Because he bought him at the age of 15 from QPR and this is exactly what's happening, only on a bigger, grander, more whole price, high-profile level. It's OK for Sterling to ditch QPR as a kid, even though they've invested so much in him to bring him through. But it's not OK for him at the age of 20 to say to Liverpool, you're not doing it for me anymore. But I think that's a separate thing. The way he's going about it, disgusting. The way about you know there are are ways of getting out of a football club, and you're never going to make everybody happy. Fans are always going to be upset when somebody leaves their club because you you always think your club's the best. But there are ways of doing it. You know, even he's making what Suarez did look as though was you know, I mean, eventually Suarez left on reasonably good terms. But you know, it is possible to leave a football club on good terms, like Xabi Alonso did or Ian Rush did all those years ago. So the way they've gone about it, I think, is. Pretty disgusting. I'm not just saying that because somebody wants to leave Liverpool. S- S- specifically,
0: think, yeah, what, sure. yeah, specifically, what issue do you have with how they've gone about it?
2: Well, I think that they've they tried to manipulate the situation to make him look some kind of you know some kind of. You think that Liverpool was some kind of uh, Victorian workhouse, you know, and he was like Oliver Twist, pleading mm-hmm. for more, you know, uh, and of course a lot. Of, I mean. I have to be a little bit careful journalistically because people get stories, and that's our job. But the idea that Liverpool themselves um, created this mess by making briefings and all this, well, that's just, if you rewind the where this all began, that wasn't the case at all. And, of course, the, the whole story began um, when he turned down £100,000 a week, and that's £150,000 a week, so to come out and then say it's not about money, Sorry. I mean, I would have had more respect to him if they'd just come out and said, well, you know what, it is about money, really, because we think that somebody else is going to offer us 200 grand a week. And Sorry, that's market, you know. Don't like capitalism, kids. Tough, you know.
3: <laughs> um, just looking at the rest of the team, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Sterling. They say they're not going to sell him, and, and, you know, they've, they've got a bit of form there. Maybe they will keep him for another... Uh, for another year or maybe even two years but I'm imagining that they've already decided that there are some other players who have to go I wonder what you think about what poor old Simon Mignolet's situation is because he he had six goals stuffed past him there Um, I think it's the first time any Liverpool goalkeepers had that happen to him in the Premier League but bizarrely, at the start of the match, he was in contention for the Golden Gloves awards for or Golden Gloves award for the most clean sheets. He might kind of look at that and think, "Well, I haven't done too badly." Uh, you know, I've been I've been one of the better goalkeepers in the division by this kind of metric. Is he? Do you, might that have been his last game for for Liverpool? It's
2: difficult, it's difficult to, to, to make that conclusion. I mean, he he he's actually been playing well, hasn't he? I mean, he was, he was shocking against uh, stoked, Not getting away from that, I think mean, he certainly was certainly fall for the for two of the first two goals, probably. Um, but I think you can't really be too harsh on him for one bad performance in probably six months. I mean, his confidence was shot when he was dropped. I mean, you have to be playing especially bad to lose your place to Brad Jones, right? I mean, I, mean, I think your career's at an all-time low when that happens. Uh, and he's recovered well from that. But, I mean, you know, I think everybody's... Future should probably be up in the air until we know exactly what's going to happen over the summer because you know, players, players get fancy by some so don't, you know, there has to be a complete re-evaluation of where the club's going now don't, isn't there so I don't think I don't think anybody will know what's going to happen until uh, the club gets attacked together and tells us what's going to
4: happen
0: Yeah and that starts with the manager and whether he'll be in charge next year Brendan Rogers said last week he was 150% certain that he would be in the job next season uh, the way he was speaking after the game yesterday it looked like that percentage had dropped to somewhere between maybe 70 and 75%. What percentage chance are you giving him of being there next year?
2: Yeah, so that, that's that's the question. I mean, to, sorry to sound I'm going to cop it, I'm just going to report the story on this now. I mean, I, I think he's got a very difficult meeting ahead. And I think it, it all depends on how much credit you think he's got in the bank. If he was coming second last year enough, uh, I think even if he'd won the league last year, there'd be serious questions being asked after a performance like yesterday. Um, it's been three years in. There's a lot There's a lot of things that need to be taken into account, but I think also what needs to be taken into account is what would happen if they made a change, because I think everybody talks about Klopp and Ancelotti, so these would be OK, they'd be the ones that you can go for. Well, I think you have to look at what the last managerial appointments Liverpool made where and where they came from, because I don't, I don't think it's as straightforward as that either, but... Um, I think it all comes back. I think the focus has to go on those who are going to make these decisions, and uh, what will be, will be. But you know, I'm sorry, it sounds like a bit of a cop out at the moment. But uh, I think, he, put it this way, I think he's in a very, very difficult situation this morning. No yeah,
3: about it. yeah. I think I think everyone can can see that. Given given the way the previous two managers uh, were dismissed, that this is not this is not going to be an easy one for Brendan Rodgers. But uh, just a kind of a bigger picture question, Chris, is that uh, there's there's some people who write about Liverpool. Uh, including, say, for instance, Paul Tompkins, the blogger who i 'm sure uh, you 're familiar with who who reckon having having thought about this for a very long time and crunched a lot of numbers that there is in fact no way Liverpool can hope to win the title uh, under current conditions it doesn 't matter who the manager is that' sort of putting you know worrying about who the manager is is is, is rearranging the deck chairs and so on that in fact. Uh, the team they put in the field is so far behind in terms of uh, what it costs. The teams that Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United can put in the field. That essentially, it's impossible for them to win the league. That, that all this worrying about the manager is is just total nonsense. Where do you stand on that uh, that, posi- that debate? Well, there's a broader debate
2: which has been and It's not probably about football, right? And in general, really. I mean, you know, I think, I think that... There's a lot, of, you know, and analytics and data, you know, uh, comes into football, which is extraordinarily good and extraordinarily useful, and you know, fantastic aid, and I'm sure a lot of the clubs use it. However, I think sometimes it goes a little bit too far, I have to say, because there are so many intangibles in a game of football, and I always use the one example. example I think a uh, conversation we came on Twitter about this last week. There's one game I go to any Liverpool support, and I say to them, in the last 25 years, what's the one game that stands out in your mind more than any? And they'll say Chelsea at home in the FA in the Champions League semi-final 2005. And he say, what in that game made a massive difference to the result? And they'll say immediately the crowd, the crowd. How do you put that on a data chart? And that sounds like an extreme case, but emotion in football and character in football sometimes does make a team that is not quite as good as the other team beat them. Now, I'm sure there are all kinds of other different things that you can look at in a football game, but I think a lot of these guys, who look at these statistic analysis of football, they don't actually go to the games and get a sense of what football is actually about, which is as much about art as science, and as much about a will now, me, I'm not saying a team that's full of rubbish players can beat a team that's full of world-class players, but I think there are certain things that can be different. You know, when I go back to so I was at Rafa Benitez's reign, I sat in his office, and I said to him, I asked him the question, I said, how can Liverpool possibly beat Chelsea? How can they possibly do it with all this money from Abramovich? And he's he, very straight about it. It can, it can be done. It can be done because there's so many different ways of, you know, you just, you can only play 11 players on a pitch. So I don't take this defeat as attitude that I would, you know. You, okay, you look at the league table and the team that spent the most is, you know, obviously they've got a huge advantage. But I don't believe that that means that you've got no chance because when you're playing. You're spending a certain level of money. Because Liverpool's problem over the last twenty years, has not been spending money. They spent money. They just spent, spent the money very, very badly. That's yeah. the fact of the matter. You know, and it could be as simple as either you know, buying Mario Balotelli. You buy uh, Alexis Sanchez. Now, there's so many different things that have gone into stop Liverpool getting Sanchez and getting Balotelli. But nevertheless, you've got the right people in place to get those deals over the line. You get me Peter Robinson from the 1970s at Liverpool. And you put him, give me a modern version of him at Liverpool. And let's see how many of those deals get done then. Let's see how many, let's see if Stephen Gerrard and Jamie Carragher are leaving the club when they are, you know. I think it's about being smart, the, 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 way, the phrase that's always used at Liverpool. But you've got to apply that. Wisdom, and I don't think there's enough wisdom at the, at the moment. So, in terms of the you know the original question, I think it's fantastic. A lot of the analysis and the stats and it all has a purpose. But let's not put one above the other. You know, let's have both complementing each other, and let's not lose the, use the soul as well of football because there's more to football than you know. You know, I did see an interesting piece which is fascinating. And Ken, you, you you did it on Brentford. It has to be a study apparently more goals are scored from a certain area in the penalty box. or
3: oh, yeah, just, just in the front pounds. of goal. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I, don't, I don't think you need to spend of pounds of research into that. I think you ask most people in the street, where do you think most four goals in a football game are scored? And they'll like, say somewhere in the penalty box. <laughs> Hallelujah, you know? But that's just my personal opinion, you know what I mean? I don't want to sound like a Luddite because I'm not. I do think that a lot of the statistical stuff is fantastic and it's needed and it's evolved the game. But I also think some of it is a little bit trying to be superior to the uh, you know the other side of us we think well there's a little bit more to it than that but that's,
0: there you go I'm on yeah. a rant there No that's not <laughs> th- that's what we want Chris that's what we want in the show listen brilliant stuff thanks for talking to us No problem at all yes, not enough wisdom at Liverpool says Chris Ken and he's thinking particularly there it's that it's not just about Brendan Rodgers no. the, pe- the people above him some, I was interested in those unnamed figures those guys that float around the club and never have to take any heat Mm. In fairness, maybe they don't get as much praise as they should if when things are going well. But they seem to be able to disappear into the background when it all the heat
3: ends up in Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, but you know, I'm sure, are any of them getting paid as much as Brendan Rodgers? I seriously doubt it. You know, you get, isn't you get, that
1: kind of the deal? Yeah, you know, if you're the head scout, you're, you know, that's not you're not going to get any grief because you're, you're the head the scout, scout. You know, yeah. like that's just the way it is. Unfortunately, I mean, that's that's you're, the reality. You're of
3: supposed it. to be bringing options to people who have responsibility and big salaries, who then. Um, who then make the, make the decisions? I mean, I think the problem at Liverpool, is, 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 as Chris was alluding there, and as, as people who've kind of looked at this tend to think, is, that, you know, the idea being the wisdom of crowds. You get lots of, lots of people making a contribution, you know, lots of perspectives, you know. Um, the problem is it goes hand in hand with the kind of diffusion of responsibility. Who's making the decision? Whose fault is it if it goes wrong? You know, there's, there's not really. I'm sure everyone is trying to claim credit for the ones that went right, and everyone's kind of backing away from the ones that went wrong. Which is why it helps, I think. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's it's really complicated. It's, it's something which is like in all sort of walks of business. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week as well. I think with Brentford, you know, this idea that you should have this. In English football, the idea is that the manager has should be an authority. The manager should be Alex Ferguson. Under ideal conditions, Alex Ferguson is the manager, and he's he's uh, making all the decisions. You know what I mean? um uh, and and the idea would be well it's good to have lots of people contributing giving feeding him information so he can make the best decision but it's his decision you know what i mean that's that's what english football sort of thinks um maybe that is actually an outdated way to to make I decisions i think it
0: may be but if english football can redefine as it is doing at the moment what a f- f- first team coach or manager whatever you want to call him head coach is supposed to do i still think there's um I still think it is quite important who your man is. Potentially very important, albeit I'm starting to back away from that in some ways. In recent times, I'm watching the NBA playoffs. Ken, yeah. the Cleveland Cavaliers are coached by some guy. Yeah, they're coached <laughs> by some guy. I don't know who. Nobody knows who he is. He pops up the odd time when he's praised for a play, and then it turns out LeBron James then does an interview saying, "No, yeah, that was actually me." Yeah, I conceived that play. They're now three 0 up in their conference, the Eastern Conference Finals. They're about to qualify to play uh, my beloved Golden State Warriors in semifinals. Yeah. Essentially, with a lot of injured players who can't play. A lot of no-mark players are in the team. A coach who has no authority. And just one amazing player. Maybe it's slightly different in basketball. I was going to say. Yeah, five yeah, men in
1: the team. You know, like there's, in basketball, if you, are, if you have one extremely good player, you're 20% <laughs> of the way to having a really brilliant team.
3: The one, the one thing I would say, just the very, very last point on, Rogers is that even if, okay, he's in a position where he he might be feeling, this is not fair, you know, I this is not how I wanted things to turn out. Think, decisions were made which I didn't really approve of. The obvious example, in my opinion, is Bal- Balotelli. Rogers did not want to sign Balotelli. He made that pretty clear before Balotelli arrived, and he made it clear sort of after Balotelli But that's arrived. how it
0: works now. That's how it works when you're coaching a, a team.
3: It doesn't have to be how it works, though. It reminds me a little bit of this, remember the being Liverpool thing that he was in, and then turned it got bad reviews, and suddenly he was saying, well, you know, it was arranged before I got here. You actually didn't have to do that. Yeah. And you didn't have to sign Balotelli either. Because there's no way back in August that Liverpool are turning around to Brendan Rogers and saying, we are signing Balotelli. And if you're saying to us that it's me or Balotelli, we're going to pick Balotelli. No way. The manager He had the power in that instance to say, no, this guy's going to be wrong for the team. He doesn't suit the way we play. I, I, I'm worried about what's going to happen if we sign him. Don't sign him. I'd rather not sign a player than sign Balotelli. He could have taken that stand, but he chose not to. And by choosing not to oppose the decision, he has to live with the consequences of that as well. You're
1: tacitly becoming part of the decision by not by not fighting it in that way.
3: Because I'm sure if Balotelli had scored 25 goals this season, Rodgers would be quite happy to to sort of be, yeah, you know, well, it was a, we it, took a risk. It was a risk, but it's about treating Mario like an adult, you know, and yeah. and that's what I've tried to do this season. You know, you know what I mean. So to kind of say, well, I didn't want him and. Yeah, but you, you accepted it and now you got to live with it.
0: That's it from this programme. We've got another show coming out later today, which includes Paul O'Connell leaving Munster and potentially not finishing up with the rugby. Jerry Thorny definitely thinks the move to Toulon is still alive. We talked to Jerry also about the, who the new Leinster coach might be. He's got a couple of intriguing suggestions there and a lot about Connacht. And Owen Kelly was uh, will be on to us talking Limerick Tip, or Limerick Clare, I should say. Uh, it is Limerick Tip in the next round. After Claire we're disposed of. If you haven't heard our podcast from San Francisco, they're all up there, including our live show from Johnny Foley's Irish House. Hope you enjoyed that one. If you have already listened to it, for the time being, that's it from us. Thanks, Kieran Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Kieran yeah, Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat to you soon. that? It? That's the second time
2: it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those